Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's special edition of the WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle. Let's meet them. A WeRSE columnist who writes WeRSE.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. That's Mark Hulkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSE.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of in-season video shows, Four Downs and Five Things, and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, a graduate of USC, that's Eric McKinney. A former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSE columnist who writes the WeRSE.com column Musings with Arledge and video show Musings with Arledge Solo Edition, which is a reminder that late this week, Chris will have as his video guest Spencer Harris, Executive Director of the House of Victory. In addition, Chris is a graduate of the USC Law School. Again, that's Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes the obvious, not so obvious, from the press box, IMHO Sunday, producer and moderator of Inside the Trojan Huddle, and active member of the Football Writers Association of America, that's me, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons, greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojan Huddle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers one month of WeRSC's premium content for just $1. If you're not already a full-time premium subscriber, you won't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, that's the opening bell panel. In a potential recruiting and portal transfer domino effect, it was learned late last week that former Alabama five-star plus and true freshman quarterback Julian Sayan, who practiced with the tie during Rose Bowl preparation, had put himself inside the transfer portal. Two major transfer reasons, of course, were Nick Saban's retirement from the Crimson Tide and former Tide offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien assuming the same offensive coordinator job at Ohio State. Julian Sain from Carlsbad, California, which is located in North County of San Diego, early on was reported to be strongly interested in Ohio State with USC in the mix, knowing he had to enroll quickly to be eligible for spring ball no matter where he chose. Well, so on Sunday, Sain announced he was enrolling at Ohio State, which makes him good to go for the Buckeye spring uh, practices. However, before Sunday's announcement by saying that he was going to be a Buckeye, all recruiting eyes also turned to USC five-star quarterback commit Julian Lewis from Carrollton, Georgia, who recently reclassified from the class of 2026 to the class of 2025. Lewis had visited Ohio State this past November and was impressed and presented a potential threat to his USC commitment. Then there are those who say that home state Georgia is now ready to make a strong play for Lewis, which should be, of course, no surprise. But for our purposes, panel, 
Put yourself in the shoes of Lincoln Riley. How does Julian Sane's decision on Sunday help clear things up? And in the case of Julian Lewis, do you expect with Sane's Ohio State decision, it makes Lewis's USC commitment stronger than ever to enroll at USC in the spring of 2025? It's a little bit of a domino effect, but it's still an effect. So let's start off with your thoughts, Mark Culkin, on this whole quarterback situation. So is there a situation, Greg? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of, there's a big, long intro there to say that Julian Sayan is transferring from Alabama to Ohio State. Uh, look, nothing's really changed. Lincoln Riley still has Miller Moss, as we're assuming is going to be QB1. He just got Jaden Mayava to transfer in from UNLV, who, by the way, if we want to create a narrative, which would you rather have? Would you rather have a transfer quarterback with a year of experience under his belt, or would you rather have Julian Sayan, highly regarded out of high school, who's got a couple of practices under under his belt at Alabama? I don't think there's really a situation here. Lincoln Riley and USC is still in the same exact situation. You got Miller Moss, you got Jaden Mayava, you got Jake Jensen, you got Gage Roy, and he's still probably looking to pull in one more quarterback pre-spring or after spring camp. Um, you bring in a, a quarterback at the caliber of a Julian Sayan, it doesn't really affect this year. However, it might affect Juju Julian Lewis wanting to come in in 2025 after he's reclassified. So I guess that's the situation. So that nothing the situation. Yeah, that nothing's really nothing has really changed. Juju Lewis is still out there in, for the class of 2025. If anything, Lincoln Riley just needs to make sure that he's enrolled in 2025. Do you, uh, Mark, uh, do you see now that saying, of course, is at, at Ohio State, does that make it a USC-Georgia battle when you really right, get right down to it uh, to see this thing through? Or do you think it just clears it up for for uh, Lewis to say, okay, I don't, I'm not going to Ohio State now, so that's out of the picture. So USC remains on top. How, how do you see it? I see, you know, Juju's already said he's going to take some visits. So, and that's fine. Look, um, as I mentioned, if there was some speculation that that Julian might, you know, consider transferring out West to finish his high school career, if that happens, it's a really positive sign for USC and Lincoln Riley. If he doesn't, it, it's not necessarily a, a negative sign, but Lincoln's going to have to work, prob- he's going to have to work twice as hard. So anytime that Juju makes it out to the West Coast, whether, you know, for quarterback, private tutoring sessions, whatever, they got to make sure they're taking advantage of every opportunity to get in front of his face. All right, Eric, uh, much ado about nothing. Does it clear it up for Juju Lewis? Puts SC in a different light. Lincoln Riley looking at his quarterback sequences from year to year. How do you see it? <laughs> Qu- quarterback sequences are done. You you build your quarterback depth chart year to year. If if your returner comes back, you're in a good shape. If he's not coming back, it, everyone is on the table. You go get whoever you think is best. So it's nice to have guys kind of in the system that are learning it and coming along. I mean, the idea that that Julian's saying is is he's not going to start at Ohio State this year. The idea that he's there long term. Ohio State has a ton of great quarterbacks right now. That depth chart is not going to look like that at the end of spring ball. When that when that portal opens up again, 
everybody's shuffling, I think, again at that point. So if you're USC, if if you're Lincoln Riley, you re- you keep recruiting Julian Lewis because he's the best quarterback in that mid- – one of the one of two quarterbacks in that 2025 class that that I think have sort of separated and if he made that commitment to USC yeah you just keep going after him recruiting him like he's not committed you know that he's going to look at other schools you know other schools are going to keep digging at him and really nothing that other quarterbacks do affects that at all because Year to year, you're you're putting your roster together as best you can. Again, stashing four scholarship, four good scholarship quarterbacks on your roster and thinking, well, now this guy moves up a year and this guy moves up a year and we'll bring in our freshmen and everyone just keeps going up the line. That's, that's just not the way it goes anymore. Chris Arledge, uh much ado about nothing, something, uh, what, what's your take on this? Are you, you still feel strong that Lewis will be at USC in the spring of 2025? I have no idea where he's going to be in the spring of 2025. And, and I think there's a good chance he doesn't either. Um, and even if he showed up to USC in the spring of 2025, it doesn't mean he'll be there in the fall of 2026. I, Eric's right. Um, with the transfer portal, just about every position is a position where guys will bounce around, but not like quarterback, because even before the current NIL scheme and even before the the transfer rules were, were eased the way they were, you already had big name quarterbacks bouncing around, right? You had Justin guys like Justin Fields taking off to Ohio State. This was before the madness started. It was uh, the front end of the curve. So... Um, so nobody knows where that kid's going to be playing football. And if he shows up at USC, it doesn't mean he'll be there the year up to that or the year up to that. Nobody knows any of that, and, and we're not going to. What's important is for Lincoln Riley to continue to show that he is an elite quarterback developer, right? That's really important. And it would help uh, It would help if Miller Moss had a really good season this year because it's one thing, to, it's one thing for Caleb Williams to put up uh, big numbers. It's another thing, Miller Moss, who was a highly recruited quarterback and a talented kid, and I'm not shortchanging him, but he's not Caleb Williams in terms of his elite athleticism. He's not. He doesn't have, he doesn't have, he can't move that way. He can't throw that way. So for him to put up big numbers and have a really good year would be another feather in Lincoln Riley's cap. And and more importantly, would just continue to have people talking about how he's the quarterback whisperer because uh, it's not an accident that these kids want to go play somewhere where they're going to get coached well because they want to play well and they want to win. And and that second part is important too. Uh, Lincoln Riley may still land quarterbacks and wide receivers if USC continues to play terrible defense, but it's going to be a lot harder because these kids want to win. They don't want to they don't want to lose football games forty three to forty two, and they know they're not going to win a Heisman if the team's eight and four. So uh, if you if you want to land elite quarterbacks, you're going to have to play much better defense than USC has played, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but if you do those two things, you're going to be able to get a good quarterback. Uh, Lincoln Riley, I suspect this time next year, is still going to be very highly regarded as a quarterback coach. USC is going to be a place where it always collects wide receivers that can play. It always gets a lot of national attention. It's going to be one of the top top five or six spots for landing quarterbacks. 
which means that Lincoln Riley, whether it's Juju Lewis or somebody else, he'll bring in somebody to comply. I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. Um, I just don't know who that somebody's going to be. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Because uh, last I looked, and it, the numbers might be even higher, I think of there was over 100 quarterbacks that were in the portal transferred. I, I read that. I assume that's an accurate or fairly accurate, which tells you a lot about the volatility of quarterbacks changing. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like anybody wants to compete for a position. They just they want to just be recruited, and I want to start, and that's it. Does anyone willing to to compete? pay a price. It doesn't seem that way. Um, well, you know, that's part, I think, but, but, think, but, but Greg also, let's not forget quarterback is different, right? If you're a, you can go and platoon at running back the way Reggie and Lindell did. And it's fine. You're still going to get a lot of carries. You're going to get a lot of notoriety. You can still get drafted in the first or second round. Quarterback's different, right? I mean, when Matt Leiner won that quarterback battle with Matt Castle, that meant Matt Castle was going to be on the bench unless Leiner failed. So, it is different for quarterbacks. I mean, there's going to be on almost every program, there's going to be a guy. And if you're not the guy, then you're not going to see the field unless you go somewhere else. So it makes sense that quarterbacks would jump more quickly than other. Uh, no, I think you're hundred percent right. Uh, I think the, 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 the issue is, is I think that Julian saying is a perfect example, how much things can change. I think if he had not uh, come out quickly on Sunday and said, I'm going to Ohio state, what would that have sent through the mind of uh, you know Juju Lewis at in Georgia? Uh, and speaking of that, I still think that Georgia has. We haven't heard the last of Georgia yet on this one. They've been playing it close to the vest, uh, letting the chips fall where they may. Uh, and I think in the end, SC will still have to fend off uh, Georgia. Uh, going back to something that Mark said, there was that rumor that Juju Lewis might come out to. The, Southern California and play, which of course would be uh, nearly checkmate uh, on, on him coming. But think about all the players that we have seen in recent years with the portal that looked like they might be coming to SC, looked like they were going to commit to SC. And then think of Malachi Nelson. I mean, it's just, it's anything goes, roll the dice. I do think that the fact of the matter is that saying having made the decision, it affected him, of course, it affected, um, you know, Julio Lewis, I think, uh, about uh, maybe eliminating Ohio State at this point and making things a little clear, uh, the fact that uh, Lewis reclassified to the class of 2025 was a big indication that this thing is really heating up and uh, we're, get, we're getting serious now. But it is the way it is. Uh, and who knows with the NIL situation. And by the way, again, a reminder, Chris is going to interview Spencer Harris uh, later in the week for Chris Arledge solo edition of Amusings. And I know, Chris, you're going to get a little bit into the NIL. Is is that really the premise of the show in the House of Victory? Yeah, I mean, that's what he does, right? He does NIL. So we're going to talk a little bit about House of Victory uh, and and uh, their plans and what that means for USC's future. But I also want to talk with him, and he's agreed to talk a little bit more about NIL generally and where it's headed and what changes should be made and what changes shouldn't be made. So we'll see. I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, it should be a fascinating show. Uh, those of you uh, wanting to watch it or look for it, we expect that uh, Chris will have it by the, at least at the end of this week. So uh, try to try to check that out if you will. All right, second quarter. Well, we've talked a lot about defense. No reason to stop now, but there is some 
some real questions I've, on the message boards, the WRSC message boards. Fans are very excited about the defense and what their expectations are. Uh, we know that Lincoln Riley has filled out his defensive staff, and the lone returner is Sean Nua, who has been moved to defensive ends with newcomer Eric Henderson on, uh, in charge of the inside tackles. Uh, we hope you get a chance to take a look at wrsc.com uh, today uh, or it, this week, at least. There's been a lot of good stories on Eric Henderson. He was, he's been visiting homes of players, uh, some that have already committed to other places for 2024 and with letter of intent coming up here uh, shortly in the first week of February. Uh, who knows what magic uh, the Henderson edition will, will add. Uh, again, completing the staff, of course, is new inside linebacker coach Mac Enst, secondary coach Doug Bell, defensive coordinator Danton uh, Lynn, who will call the defense. He has not yet been mentioned, though, with any specific defensive position group, to my knowledge. And certainly, Coach Lincoln Riley has so far lived up to his public statements of dramatically upgrading the defense, and he's a reestablished excitement and hope for the 24th season. However, that being said, panel, are fans and media getting too optimistic about uh, setting themselves up for a letdown if the defense doesn't live up to their expectations? Taking a step backward to this point in time, panel, just what are your expectations with this new defensive group? The defense still needs physical talent. What do you expect? Uh, do we need to pump the brakes a little bit on this excitement? Chris, your thoughts? No, no, hit the gas. Let's uh, let's be excited. I mean, it's the first time in a long time we've been able to be excited about the defense. I don't want to tone that down. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. I think the defense is going to be pretty good. Um, USC is going to add additional defensive talent in the second transfer portal. I don't know who those guys are going to be, but they're going to. Um, they're going to because they still need they still need high end talent uh, if they can find it, and they still need depth at at a number of positions. So the roster as it exists now is not going to be what we're going to see against LSU. I think we all know that. Uh, and this defensive staff is going to be uh, it, it's going to be attractive to a lot of guys in the portal who think that you know if they have a year or two to increase their draft stock. Uh, that these guys may be able to help them. I think these guys probably can help them. So, uh, but but even with what USC has now, I, I it, it's not a Georgia or Alabama level uh, group. But they have some players on this on this defense. Um, I, you know, it, it, I could imagine we would see a a nice jump from Bear Alexander. I think that we could see a nice jump from Anthony Lucas, who didn't do a whole lot this past year, but is immensely talented. Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got an all conference linebacker coming in from Oregon State who's going to play well. You've got uh, some defensive backs coming in from UCLA who played well last year and Lynn thinks are going to play well this year. They will. Um, you have you have a lot of edge rushers USC's recruiter over the last two years. Some of those guys may not be physically ready to play, but some of them like Braylon Shelby is abs- he will absolutely be ready to play next year. Uh, I, I think Elijah Hughes is going to be ready to to make some noise uh, at, at the interior spots. I don't know how big he's going to get before the before the fall, but wouldn't surprise me if he comes in at two eighty five and keeps his quickness and and, and makes some noise. So the the debate with USC fans this past couple of years was always what's the problem, coaching or talent, and and while and while both were a problem. 
the coaching was abysmal and and Alex Grinch put his guys in terrible positions consistently and nobody was teaching discipline because guys just did whatever they wanted and and you are going to see a dramatic difference with this staff are they going to shut everybody down no but keep in mind nobody does that anyway right I mean Nick Saban said it a couple of years ago it used to be that good defenses stop good offenses they don't now um and, and Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State, these are all teams that will give up 40 points if they're playing a really good offense. It happens all the time. So USC is going to have games where their defense gets throttled a little bit. And, um, and that's true even if they, even if they play spec, uh, spectacular defense most of the time. Um, but is this group good enough uh, talent-wise to be effective against the, the bulk of that schedule? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Um, and, and I would expect that a group that lines up properly and knows their assignments and is disciplined and tackles well um, is going to have success much of the time. It's hard to give up 40 points a game defensively, right? And, and it's hard. You have, to, you, have to, you have to fail over and over and over again in a lot of positions all game to do that, especially against average offenses, Right. Like when the pig farmer puts up 30-something, that doesn't, that doesn't happen because USC didn't have enough athletes to stop Oregon's offense. That's dumb. Oregon or Utah's offense. Oregon's offense, a different story. Utah's offense wasn't that good. USC's defense just played that poorly. A well-coached defense doesn't give up 30-something a pig farmer. And, they're not, and I don't think they're going to this year. So, no, I – this is not going to be the 2008 USC crew. It's not. They're not going to. They're not going to keep hold. You know, they're not going to hold eight of their opponents to one score or less, like the 2018 did. They're not going to do that. But I think they'll be pretty good. And and I think most weeks they're going to be more than competitive and get a fair number of stops and make some plays. And so I think we should look forward to that. Mark Hawkins, are we going to? Pump the brakes here, or are we going to step on the Arledge accelerator? What do you think? And before you answer, just a reminder, the pig farmer will probably be playing against the Trojans. He is transferred from Utah to Utah State, so maybe that will be a good barometer when we see the two play. But what do you think, Mark? I've been in fifth gear since they brought on Danton Lynn. Um, yeah, no, I'm with Chris. Let's just dumb and Louise. Let's just go over the cliff. Uh, there's no reason not to think that USC's defense isn't going to be not just incrementally better, a lot better than than what we've seen for these last couple of years. Chris said it's hard to give up 40 points a game. I disagree. USC made it look really easy. So, you know, we talk about the Jimmys and the Joes versus the X's and O's. You obviously need both, but to the point now where, you know, when I saw that Eric Henderson is out recruiting, he's doing in-home visits, and we know that February signing day is still coming up, and you've got that second transfer portal window. Yeah, um, I think the, the, the getting Eric Henderson to come on board, and we know that USC's defensive line needed that spark plug, needed that jump start, whatever you want, how, however you want to phrase it. That's the guy to do it. I mean. You, you had Lincoln Riley, who was your all-star on offense. And now you're bringing in a bunch of guys who are considered really good teachers at their positions. And you got, what, three defensive coordinators on your staff? 
there's a good reason to be excited. Um, now, as Chris mentioned, it's not going to be 2008. They're not going to be giving up, you know, eight points a game. But if a USC defense has given up 23, 25 points a game, um, I, I think that's probably going to be categorized as a really good defense. Because if Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are willing to to accept giving up 40 points a game against their good defenses, then you know what? Let's just let's let's get in the same neighborhood. I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. Eric, are we talking accelerator or pumping brakes here? Well, I Mark, you know what happens at, at the end, like after they go over the cliff, right? They don't they don't like gradually and gracefully settle on the road and keep driving, right? Uh, we didn't I don't think they showed that. What happened? Okay. Uh was that the egg at the end of the movie or? Right. So so Greg's question of are people getting too excited? I, I mean, I don't know. If people are looking at the UCLA defensive stats and saying they finished number two in the country in run defense, they finished top 10, I think top 10 in, in total defense and top 15 in scoring and saying, oh, you, USC should do that. USC should do that right now this year. Then yes, that's get that's getting ahead of themselves. That UCLA schedule this last year is absolutely nothing compared to the USC schedule, what he took over in terms of that front for especially at UCLA, I think that's at this point looks better than what what USC has up there. So just to say these numbers should match, they should give up, you know, they should be two in the country in rushing defense right now. That feels like like getting out of yourselves. The answer is they're going to be better. They're going to be better, and I don't think I'm going to have to click to the third page every single time I want to look up where USC ranks defensively in any of the stats where you want to know what the number is. And and I think that that's an okay spot. These coaches, what we know about these coaches is they, they can coach football. And that seems to be kind of a, a missing guarantee, I think, from some of the groups that we've seen. Mark mentioned, right, X's and O's, Jimmy's and Joe's. You don't need to have elite talent to just play solid football. You can't run everybody down. You can't make unbelievable plays. You can't win every game on your schedule unless you have really, really talented players. But you can be solid. You can be in the right place. And and you can play a lot better than what USC has shown the last few years. So it's it's going to be better. There's going to be some big plays that they give up. I mean, you're, you're going to be probably early in the year, there's going to be a long touchdown and everyone's going to throw their hands up and say, here it goes again. I mean, just going from one year that was as bad as it was last year to if your idea is they're going to win a national championship or, or go to the playoff this year, yeah, you're going to be frustrated at times during the season. But... I think we're going to see some some pretty solid defensive football being played. And honestly, I don't think they're going to – at this point, looking at what the roster is now, the idea that they're in the playoff or fighting for a national championship seems far-fetched. What the roster looks like now, like Chris said, compared to what takes the field against LSU, that might be two different things. But 
right now, I think again the the ex, if the expectation is national championship, I would say slow down a little bit. But I think we're kind of all on the same page. Like, let's play good football, and I do think the expectation can be that this that the defense can keep you in. And I, I'll say it every game this year. I, I don't think there's an an offense out there, a team out there where you just say that's a guaranteed loss going into this one. I'm I'm not saying they're winning every game, but yeah, we we went into that Washington game right thinking, well, if they can keep them to under 55 or 50 or whatever that was, uh, I think I think at this point. Um, pretty pretty secure in in feeling like you're not going to get that from this USC defense this year. Well, I'm going to usually, I usually I say I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm going to throw out caution. I am optimistic. I'm not unrealistic though. You know, you can have the greatest coaches in the world, but you still got to have players, and you have play. You have to have players, and I think somebody brought up the. Uh, the Anthony Lucas situation. There's a perfect example of is a kid that has ability going to listen to coaches that have proven themselves. I think one of the things that has been unfortunate in my opinion is there's been so much uh, focus on coaching that in a way the players get this false sense of, well, it's really not me. It's the coaching. Well, now I think everyone accepts the fact that there are really good coaches on the staff so now players are going to have to put up or shut up or maybe go to the transfer portal. Uh, and I, I like that idea. I, I like the idea that the players are really going to be held accountable. The coaches know what they're doing. Uh, if someone, ha- if there's any coach that maybe has a little bit of pressure on them, it's going to be certainly new defense according to Rant- uh, Danton Lynn because, as Eric pointed out, the schedule, the UCLA schedule last year was not exactly a killer schedule. So he's going to have to show a little bit of what he can do. And uh, one thing I will say that uh, I don't think any of us have brought it up yet was how will these coaches interact with each other? They all come with some some distinguished uh, resumes. Can they work together? Can they be friends together? Are they going to question in their mind, why is he doing that? I would have done this. So coaching camaraderie camaraderie is going to be really important we know that a lot of teams, teams that have a lot of talent don't always play like a great team because they're just too concerned with their own individual achievements. So I'm kind of interested to see uh, when you talk about am I uh, optimistic. I'm optimistic and hopeful that the coaching staff gets along with each other and that they work collaboratively together because I think to, to, to get that across to the team is really, really important in my opinion. So uh, with that... Now we hit something that I think is really important uh, off the field. We're moving into halftime. And this situation, which really bothers me, it really frosts me as it does probably 90% of the USC football family. When I say family, I'm talking about fans, support groups, boosters. Uh, While we just talked about the defense and this seems to be on the road to recovery, but off the field, the Trojans need badly to reestablish their connection with the alumni and fan base. And there are calls now for the return of the once heartbeat of USC sports in general. The alumni clubs around the state of California and perhaps uh, across the country 
Uh, folks may not have heard this. Uh, this was from uh, not all that long ago, but the quote, had to get that one in there, alleged mastermind of getting rid of the regional Trojans alumni clubs not all too long ago retired from the alumni relations department. It said that this employee, excuse me, was credited for the controversial plan that eliminated the Trojans regional alumni clubs in California, which dated, this goes back to the year 2020 of the elimination. And needless to say, there was a tremendous backlash at the time from the rich and powerful to the average USC fan who was also part of these clubs in the area. Uh, many have said that uh, destroying the famous USC alumni clubs like those in Orange County, San Diego, Long Beach, San Gabriel Valley, those around the state, tore into the basic fabric of what it is to be a Trojan and kind of weakened the old adage, you're a Bruin for four years and a Trojan for life. So, panel, I know that you have definite views on this. We're all from different parts of Southern California and L.A., and then Chris is in Dallas, of course, but there are USC Trojan alumni in that area, how much damage was done to the Trojans alumni clubs when they were eliminated in 2020? Should there be a major effort by athletic director Jen Cohen to reinstate these vital clubs? Eric, your thoughts? Uh, a lot of damage, and yes, there should be. I mean, it, it's it seems pretty easy that you'd want to create pockets like that all across the country of people who are going to push USC and, and all the positives. I remember when I was in Chicago and that group would always kind of spearhead the, the Notre Dame trip out there and, and get everybody set up and, and handle a lot of that. Um, Especially right now with NIL. I mean, that having that kind of stuff all over the country and being able to, fundraise in in different ways and maybe even put some of that towards nil if if you can direct it to to collectives and that sort of thing i just yeah of course i mean of course having groups all over the place that share that kind of common passion and making it easy for them to get together and and spread that feeling is is a good thing yes good thing Chris, your thoughts on this? What about this alumni club? Should they bring it back? Uh, yeah, they should. Uh, that's all I want to say on that. I want to I want to open up a little more broadly because I know that I know that you and Mark will will also have plenty to say about the clubs themselves. But one of the things we need to recognize: the USC's done a tremendous amount of damage over the last decade or so, and not just in showing a disregard for the alums and what they want by by getting rid of these clubs without notice without without letting people be heard on it but but in many other respects also right i mean you had you had scandal after scandal and you had uh, absurd and ridiculous behavior by the people at the top you had a tolerance of absolute incompetence frankly, throughout the university, but certainly in Heritage Hall uh, and at the head of the football program, you can't go, you can't go 10 plus years where you basically tell USC fans and donors and alums, we don't care what you think. We're going to do what we want. And if you don't like it, go to hell and expect that people very quickly are going to say, oh, you want a lot of money for NIL? Well, let me run in the other room and get my checkbook. So 
there's a lot of damage that needs to be fixed. Now, maybe USC didn't care about that because I would note that during this time period where there, where there was all kinds of immoral, unethical, illegal activity, where there was gross incompetence by people in the athletic department and especially running the football program that weren't criminal, but if I wrote the criminal laws would be, uh, during much of this period, USC was still making loads of money, right? They were raising huge sums of money. And so it may be that USC's just decided, we really don't care what you think. We found a way that we can be in the top 10 of uh, universities nationwide and fundraising every year anyway. So shut up. And maybe that's maybe that's still the way they feel. I don't know. Somehow they've managed to hire Lincoln Riley and hire a bunch of former defensive coordinators uh, to coach at USC. So so maybe maybe we have it all wrong. And maybe what uh, what the Joe on the street thinks doesn't really matter to them and shouldn't. But I'm skeptical of that. I, I think that I think that at some point the university has to show that they're actually committed to doing things right. They're actually committed to doing things well. And they actually care about what uh, what the people who have loved this university for, in some cases, many, many decades, what they think and what their opinions are. But that's not and, – and, you know, fixing the – Fixing the elimination of the uh, of, of the local clubs is a piece of that, but it's only a piece of that. And there's still a whole lot of work that needs to be done to fix what Nikias and Hayden and Swan and and uh, and Kendall and all kinds of others really the grease the grease fires they set all over that campus for many many years. Um, some of those embers are still warm. And there's still a lot of work that they need to do if they want people to support the university. Uh, and, and, and hopefully they will. I mean, I think that, I think that Jen Cohen is a good, is a good start. I think she's a good ambassador. I think she cares about this. Um, but, but they still have a lot of work to do. Mark, you've been on all different sections of USC, athletics, football, fan, journalist. Um, are the the damage that Chris said? I think you're probably in agreement. Uh, can they bring back these Trojan clubs, or have they have they lost the people that uh, they had originally? Can they bring these people back? Can they bring in new people? What's it going to take? Your opinion? Well, if USC still wants to use their you know the credo of the Trojan family, uh, I think it would be a wise idea to to bring these you know small little family get-togethers, meet and greets. Let them let them kind of regenerate themselves? Absolutely. And Chris, here's the question I'd like you to ask Spencer Harris. What is House of Victory's view on these local clubs? And I'm hoping he says it's a, he has a positive view on it. And if so, the sooner they reinstitute these San Diego, Pasadena, Long Beach, San Francisco, wherever clubs, House of Victory needs to have a representative at every single one of these meetings whenever they're getting together yeah. to kind of generate some NIL resources. So yeah, I what you guys have been talking about, the, the fact that they took these away and pretty much said, you know what, USC fan, we'll take your money, but we don't want your opinion. That pisses a lot of people off. Um it it pissed me off when I show up to a game day, you know, four or five years ago, and I start seeing 
the way the the game day atmosphere is feeling. And I understand there's construction going on, but when I see a black wrought iron fence surrounding the entire Coliseum, there's no more game day atmosphere. To your point about this is how you're going to do it, well, now you're told if you want a tailgate, you're going to pay USC and go to one of these major corporation functions, or you're going to pay to go find a spot on campus, and that's what you have to deal with. Yeah, they need to get these clubs back in order soon so these clubs can have a more um, prominent voice at USC and say, look, you've got the Pasadena Club that really thinks this is important. You've got 100 people down in the South Bay who really think this is important. Yeah. If USC wants to get back to that Trojan family atmosphere rather than trying to figure out you know, what to name the student section. Sometimes it's okay to, to to rely on your tradition, but don't forget about how you got there. And I think somewhere along the line, uh, people who were put in power, they forgot what made USC so special. So yeah, bringing back those Trojan clubs, meet and greets. <laughs> what's What's the negative? The negative is USC can't control what's going on. So incorporate them into the House of Victory. Make them a part of the collective. Because if you're not putting up 13 to 15 million per year on your existing roster, these clubs, they're actually, they're they're needed now. You need them. Yeah, you know, um, I, I this really is a sore spot with me because I knew a lot of the people through WeRSC in the early years and the, and the dinners that we had, a lot of them were would come, you know, when Gary Paskowitz uh, uh, was alive and getting dinners and all that stuff, we would get people from South Bay Trojan Club, Orange County. And uh, there was a passion and spirit that, I mean, had been going on for decades. And to cut it off like that and sit there and give what my understanding was is we want to be in control of the money we don't know where the money is going, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so if you believe that, why don't you have a meeting amongst the leaders of all these clubs around the state? Here's our concerns. How do we deal with it? We don't want to lose people. And my feeling is it's kind of like the football program. If you lose fans through the inept coaching of Clay Helton, there's no guarantee that you're going to get these fans back. The renovation of the Coliseum, the seat changes. Did you get as many fans back after they got eliminated from all their friends in, you know, in section tunnel four? Uh, but I think Jen Cohen gets it. Uh, it's my understanding, and I, I'm not going to say where I know it from or who told me, but I think there's a person that could be coming back to USC that gets it that understands it, was there during a, one of the high moments of the football program, that understands what these Trojan clubs may be about uh, and could satisfy some of the questions that you guys have said. Uh, from my understanding, it's not if, it's when. Uh, and, and if it's that's true, uh, those of you that would know this person would certainly be in agreement that this is, would be a big step in the right direction. My thing is, is, and I'll give you a class example, then we'll, we'll move on here. When SC was functioning at its zenith, 
let's say during the Pete Carroll years, and all the Trojan clubs were in existence, and things were like, it didn't get any better, no matter what program across the country. SC was was number one. There might be a 1A, but definitely SC was number one. How many times did Pete Carroll come to the Orange County Trojan Club? How many times did Pete Carroll go to the South Bay Trojan Club? You don't see Lincoln Riley going to any Trojan Club, first of all, because there are no Trojan Clubs. How much of a good gesture would it be to start these programs up and tell Lincoln Riley, dude, for the amount of money we're paying you, we need for you to go to these Trojan Clubs and be available to the general public and let people meet you, understand you, rather than be in this bubble, if you will, uh, where we only see you uh, from sitting in the stands or if we watch, uh, you know, Trojans live on Monday night and we hear a little interview. They want to get to know their head coach. Carol did a great job of it. McKay did it even in the early years uh, when I was younger. Uh, Robinson was a big hit and those type of things. Just from a public relations standpoint, you could possibly start these things up with a little bit of a hook by saying our first guest is going to be uh, Lincoln Riley. Now, I don't know if Lincoln Riley wants to do that, but if he did, I, I think it's all positive. So let's keep an eye on this. Hope that they are taking a step in the right direction, bringing back this club and bringing people in, young people that are into it, that will perpetuate it and hand the torch off to the next generation. I think it's really, really imperative. So with that, friends, again, we strongly encourage those of you watching inside the Trojans Huddle on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, it's free. And you can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. And be sure to check out wersc.com. Become a premium subscriber. All right. Let's get in the third quarter. Let's kick it off with the lightning round predictions. Uh, again, we'll go in the order of Mark, Eric, Chris, and myself. So let's get right into it. Question one, yes or no? A major key to the success of the 2024 offensive line will be the return of Gino Quinones. Yes or no, Mark Culkin? No. Eric? Yeah, yeah. You got to have veteran talented depth. I mean, I... Maybe not as a starter, but you need guys that can play up there. Chris Arledge. Yeah, I, both guys are right. It depends what you mean by the question. Uh, Jonah Monheim is going to come back and and potentially compete for All-American honors. Uh, Gio Quinones will not do that. But what he can do is give you a ton of depth at three different interior line positions, and that is immensely helpful. So – uh, Monheim level, no, but will it be nice to get him back and if he stays healthy? Absolutely. And I, I, I believe, yes, he will be a, a major key because of his versatility. Question two, yes or no? Alabama fans are shocked over the amount of players on their 2024 roster to be that have elected to enter the transfer portal. Mark, are they shocked? Um, yes. <laughs> Eric? Yeah, at which point, right? Like right after the season ended, I and then if you told them all these guys are going to leave, I think absolutely shocked. Once Saban left, I mean, may, maybe they thought the power of Alabama would be enough to keep some of those guys here. That the fact that Caleb Downs, a guy like that, isn't coming back is probably pretty surprising for him. Chris, 
Are we talking about the guys in the overalls that have the Tide detergent and the toilet roll thing on their heads? Oh, I think that's pretty those good. guys. Those guys are probably surprised, but they're probably surprised by lots of things. So I, I don't know that we should spend a lot of time worried about them. I say yes. The Alabama fans are shocked because I think, as you mentioned, the Alabama brand is it's strong, but Nick Saban made it elite. You do have to love that that it's Alabama that tips the scales of, oh, maybe this isn't fair that this is happening to all these schools for years and years now with the transfer portal. But as soon as it's Alabama, we get, maybe we should have a discussion about uh, the timing of this. <laughs> Question three, yes or no, USC defensive end Ramel Height has entered the transfer portal. Will this have any effect, defensive effect in 2024, Mark? Absolutely zero effect. Eric, the I mean, it's like the Geno thing having having guys who can play up there in that defensive front. You don't. That's not a position where you want to be sub numbers. So, I think if you're clearing way for Braylon Shelby to get more time, then that's fine with me. But a veteran guy who's played a little bit, I'd I'd take I'd take those guys up in that defensive front. He, but we're not playing the Russian scheme anymore, and Romelo Heights a tweener. I mean, he, he didn't see the field a lot last year, and that was after Grinch got let go too. Yeah, it's. I mean, those outside linebacker slash defensive ends for for Lynn at UCLA. And there's a guy playing two thirty there for him, so you you don't need to be two seventy for for Lynn up there on the edge. Chris, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean. The problem is that USC has lots of guys that you look at and say, that guy seems to have a, a skill set that could be useful that haven't done anything for two years. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't do it under the new staff. I'm not worried about him leaving because I think I think that's a spot where USC has brought in a lot of talented guys. So I think they'll be okay there. But is it possible that Romello Height with this coaching staff and this new scheme would would be successful? I think there's a chance he might have been. I'll be the jerk. No. Okay, well, I'm going to be a jerk, too. I'm going to say no. Uh, But I don't discount the fact that in a different scheme, he might be effective. But as where things stand at the moment, I would say no. Uh, Question four, yes or no. When USC travels to Michigan for their first Big Ten game, conference game in history, will the full USC marching band also be making that trip yes or no mark you know i really hope they figure out that they can do it because you know usc's band is you know world renowned michigan's band is also world renowned i just don't know if michigan stadium is going to want to set aside 100 plus seats for usc's marching band so it's probably go i don't know if they're going to get the notre dame treatment is what i'm saying eric yeah, I, I would not take any to Maryland if it meant you could take them all to Michigan. Maybe maybe they could make a, a deal with those two schools. Chris? I mean, it's the big house. There should be room, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not the small house. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, yes or no, Chris? Uh, I say yes. Okay. Uh, I say yes because I think this is going to be a prime time game. History is going to be made. USC, Michigan, two traditional great programs 
two of the greatest marching bands in the history of college football. They're going to play this up like a bowl game, and TV will love every single second of it. And so will the Michigan fans. I, I agree with Eric. If you, if that means you don't go to Maryland, send 10 people with a couple of trumpets and a couple of uh, French horns there. And uh, uh, I certainly hope they do show up. That would be awesome. Where did you uh, scoop up Art, Art, uh, Dr. Bartner from before he came to USC? Yeah, I think he was from Michigan, right? That's where, yeah. So maybe they they do some sort of, hey, welcome back, Dr. Bart, or Dr. Art. Oh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, question five, yes or no? And by the way, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, Inside the Trojan Saddle, this is the third quarter in which we do what we call the Big Ten Lightning Round. Uh, so yes or no, in this day and age, is a DJ in a stadium better suited than yell eaters? Mark. No. Get rid of them. Uh, rid of? Get rid of the DJ. Okay. Eric? In this day and age, a DJ is probably better suited than yell leaders just answering your question specifically. I don't, I don't know if that's the way I'd go, but probably yes. Uh, Chris? The DJ's grown on me a little bit, guys. I mean, uh, he, he talks too much and it's too noisy. There are times when it's a distraction. But, um, you know, when he plays Journey in the third quarter and everybody sings, I kind of enjoyed that. And I never really understood the yell leaders. Look, I'm a tradition guy. I love USC's tradition. I never got that at all. It never made sense to me. So, yeah, I would like a little less DJ, but a little bit of DJ and no yell leaders works for me. Um, I would like to see a combination of both. Uh, Yelling DJs? Well, I think I think the DJ brought a lot of energy. I agree with Chris. Uh, he kind of grew on me. But what I liked when he did it was that he became a yell leader when he was started saying, oh. block, block that kick or whatever it was, uh, you know, to get the people fired up on down in distance. I think that's important. Uh, I don't need an entertainer per se, but it's nice to incorporate some of the tradition. I know if you go to the South, they do have yell leaders who yell block that kick and, and some of the other traditional things. And honestly, I don't think players that are kicking field goals are used to having a bunch of people say block that kick in a pressure situation. Um, question six, yes or no. Many, many decades ago, there was a movement to consider moving the USC campus from Los Angeles to Orange County, uh, specifically near Newport Beach. In hindsight, do you think that would have been a good idea, Mark? No, absolutely not. I thought Pepperdine was supposed to be where USC sits. Eric? No. Chris? I don't know, guys. I think that... uh... I think that it would have made for a campus that would have been more pleasing to a lot of people. And, and I suspect it would have opened up some opportunities. I'm fine with where it is. It's not like I've thought about this and however long it's been since I saw this floated many years ago, but it's not like the university would have collapsed if they would have moved it to a nicer piece of real estate. Um, I say no, but so much of USC, which the new people, Dr. Carol Folt included, and some of the other new people don't realize, in my opinion, how important football is to USC. USC is known for its football program. I don't care how many times they 
discover the atom or whatever they do, uh, there is nothing that brings this university together, both people that graduated from SC or people who didn't, that rally around USC football. And it's really important that when SC football is really good, all of a sudden the SC campus is even better looking and doesn't have that aura of where it's located, so on and so forth. It's kind of like the Coliseum. When SC wins, the Coliseum is one of the great historical venues in the United States. And when they lose, people trash it. You know, it's kind of like uh, turns into a bad version of Wrigley Field. All right, uh, question number uh, seven. Uh, yes or no, would you ever consider dyeing your hair cardinal gold for a big USC football game? Mark, would you do it? Um, I, I'm not okay. going to say I haven't done it. <laughs> what would you do? Today, it? I would not do it. Today, no, I would not. Okay. In your younger years, you might consider it. In my younger days, I probably have done it. <laughs> okay, Eric. No, 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 not for me. Not for you. Uh, Chris Arledge. Is it going to make us play better defense? If it is, I would do it. But I'm pretty sure my hair has no impact whatsoever on our football program. So, no. No. Okay, I want to ask this question. Chris. Yeah. Did you ever put black under your eyes? Did you ever paint your face when you put on your when you you the 6.9? You're asking me in the stands? No, no, when you played. Oh, uh, you know, I tried it a couple of times, but I, I didn't notice I didn't notice any impact when I did it, so I so I stopped. Okay. Uh no, I would not personally for me. Uh I'm not into the hair dyeing. Uh question eight. Yes or no? The Big Ten will always schedule the USC-UCLA game as the last game for the Trojans and the Bruins, with the exception being when Notre Dame plays the Trojans in Los Angeles during Thanksgiving. Will they Will they keep that up, Mark? I really hope they do. So you're saying uh, yes. I'm hoping that they do it, so yes. Okay. Uh, Eric? I think they may try to, but I am going to say no on any oh. question that says always and has to do with college football right now. I just, I, there's some, something's going to come up where they can say, Hey, we can make more money if we put it on this weekend or travel this team here or whatever that is. I just, the idea that something's going to be locked in place and that's it going forward is just not there anymore. Right. Ohio State, Michigan, week one coming soon. <laughs> look what what that yeah. usc lsu game to open the season if usc opened with ucla or or even notre dame i mean it's it look i no i don't want that but someone's gonna sit there and go hey that's a that's a thought we could we could put that in an nfl stadium and again uh, you know 10 years ago what college football looked like to now the immortal words of Mr. Bill on Saturday Night Live from many years ago. No, Chris. I was going. I was all set to say yes until I heard Eric's argument. I think he's right. There's nothing in in college football that that wouldn't give. But in the short term, in the short term, uh, they'll keep it that way for a bunch of reasons, including the USC and UCLA both want it. And I think USC is now in a conference that has decided that it doesn't make sense to poke its most important programs in the eye with a stick just to do it. 
So I, I think the Big Ten, if, if USC tells the, the powers that be at the Big Ten, we actually want to play UCLA the last week of the season, stop messing around with us, I think they would listen. Whereas, whereas in the Pac-10 or Pac-12, it was almost certain to be, uh, to, to be undermined. Anytime there was a way they could undermine you, they'd do it. I say uh, yes, because at least when the season comes to an end, whether you've had a successful or a failure season, there's something about looking forward to that last game. I would hope that the big, uh, the big 10 or 16 or 18 or 20, whatever they're going to do, that on the last game of the regular season, they somehow can have all the rivalry games uh, being played. I think if you're going to keep a tradition alive, that would be the tradition I'd like to see kept alive. Question nine, yes or no, are you satisfied thus far with the job? that new Trojans athletic director Jen Cohen has done thus far in her tenure. Mark? Absolutely. A plus. Eric? Yeah, I mean, doesn't doesn't seem like anything huge, but certainly feel more confident with her than, I don't know how, how many you have to go, well... I, I don't want I don't want to lump Mike Bone into some of those other guys, but but it's it feels like it's been a while since you felt really confident about the direction here, and she's carrying that on. Chris, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done, but she strikes me as a pro who takes her job seriously, knows what she's doing, and you know there have only been a couple of years in the last twenty when we've had that, so I'm on board. And I agree with all of you. I think she's done a, a really good job up to this point. And I'm excited to see what she's going to do in the future. And uh, I think that's a really good sign. All right, question 10. The weighted, long-awaited for bonus question. Fill in the blank, guys. My favorite all-time athlete, regardless of sport, college or pro, is who, Mark? Mamba. Kobe. Kobe? Okay. Eric? Tony Gwynn, and that's the easiest question we've ever had on this. Yeah, we we should tell our fans that Eric is a San Diego native uh, and huge Padre fan. He owns the Dave Roberts voodoo doll. That's the reason the Dodgers always screw up in the playoffs. Yeah, we sent him. We sent him up here just to do exactly what he's done. Chris. Uh, so I have absolutely no connection to Oklahoma State University or the Detroit Lions, but Barry Sanders is my all-time favorite athlete. He is the best. He is the best guy I've ever seen with the ball in his hands, and I honestly don't think it's close. Uh, nothing was more exciting than a two-yard Barry Sanders loss. I mean, it was extraordinary what that guy could do. So he's my favorite. By the way, go watch the uh, go watch the show on uh, I can't remember if it's Netflix or Prime, but uh, there's a Barry Sanders documentary. It's worth watching. Okay. Uh, again, this question is regardless of sport, college or pro. So I know that people will be shocked when I give this answer based on uh, my age, but my favorite. Uh, Athlete, college, or pro is uh, Sandy Koufax. Uh, he was just unbelievable. If you sometimes, you know, you you hear about guys that are legends and stuff, and you say, "I wonder what he was like." Babe Ruth, what have you? Uh, even great USC football players that you know, watching Mike Garrett, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes down to one specific athlete, for me, for a lot of reasons. I got to see Sandy Koufax when I was in high school. 
and uh, he was unreal, unreal. So with that, we are now going to go between the third and fourth quarter of the huddle, and you veterans know what that means. Uh, we are going to light our symbolic WeRSC uh, inside the huddle Coliseum torch. Here we go. Uh, this is a get for those of you new to the program uh, at uh, the Coliseum between the third and fourth quarter of USC home games. They light the Olympic torch and the band plays the William Tell Overture and they kind of make a big deal out of it. And it's really cool at night, especially when the torch is lit and people on the freeway are driving by knowing that there's a big sporting event happening. Uh, and while the torch burns here, reminder to all of you recruitaholics, especially as we get closer to the uh, traditional letter of intent day in uh, early February, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's weekly recruiting video show, Recruiting Roundup, with nationally respected Scott Trader, the best in the business, and host Dylan Brazier. So with that, we head into the fourth quarter. Questions uh, from panelists. Uh, answers for balance of viewer questions. So let's get into it. Question one from Steve in Altadena, California. I read Greg's Friday's ONSO column on the anniversary of the passing of the late Gary Paskowitz. Could the panel please tell us about each of your relationships with Gary? And for those of us who never met him, what was he like? Thanks and fight on. And for those of you who are not familiar with Gary, Gary is the founder and publisher and really uh, legend he started WeRSC.com back in 2001. So, uh, guys, there is no formal uh, order here. Who wants to jump in and start off talking about uh, what Gary, uh, uh, your relationship with Gary and what what he was like? I mean, I, so, so I met Gary, uh, the end result of just a cold email to WeRSC asking if I could help out my uh, junior year at USC. And he said, yeah, come on out to practice kind of got me started slowly and, and eventually, um, you know, came, came on full time and, and am where I am now. Uh, the one thing I'd say about him, I think that stands out more than anything else is he's, he was the kind of guy where like 10,000 people thought he was their best friend. And it, it, it always struck me as like, how does this guy have the time to put into all of those relationships to make people feel like that. that That's the one thing where you hear that from so many people, you know, just, I felt so close to him. He would always have time. And and that's, that's what stood out to me. And I, I always remember thinking like do doing this job now, just thinking, my God, how did he, how did he find the time to do the site and connect so deeply with so many people, it, it was a it was a real skill that he had. You know, I, I like to add. Uh, I'll say my piece a little bit uh, later down the line here, but uh, Gary had mentioned that if anything ever happened to him, that he asked me what I thought about Eric being the uh, editor in chief of USC, and I was all for it at the time. You could see that Eric could really be exceptional. At the time, what if you <laughs> asked that question today, Greg? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, no, this was uh, before Gary passed away, obviously. Uh, but he always envisioned that Eric could be the right successor to him uh, if anything happened to him or he, he retired. So 
Uh, obviously, Gary had a big eye for talent. I let me let's move to uh, Chris. I want to hear from you because, to my knowledge, you were the last person that Gary actually hired uh, while he was alive. Uh, how did you get to know him? Uh, your thoughts on your your relationship with him? Uh, Gary and I weren't close um, in that we didn't spend a lot of time. Uh, you know, I, I would see him in person occasionally. For the most part, every once in a while, we would email back and forth. I think it started originally. There was something. There was something going on that had legal repercussions, and I sent him an email explaining what I thought it meant, and he responded with an email that was very nice. Um, but uh, and it was it was shortly before Gary passed away that um, that I first started writing for the site uh, as a columnist, and um, you know just months I think I'm, I'm stunned actually to to realize it's been that long I've been doing this. Um, very. Uh, very, very nice person. There's no question about that, but also really good at what he did. Um, and and as an outsider who who didn't know him uh, for years, uh, I was on the site and, and I didn't really know him personally. Uh, I was always impressed that uh, when Gary said something, you could absolutely take it to the bank. He didn't he didn't speculate. He didn't he didn't engage in rumor mongering, uh, hoping that it would increase the number of hits to the website he didn't do that stuff. He was, um, he was sober. Uh, and, uh, I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm talking, he was sober in terms of the way he presented his, uh, his opinions and, um, uh, and, and just was extraordinarily good at his job. And he made the, we site by far my favorite of the USC sites before I ever met it. Um, but, um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I was not close friends with Gary. I knew him. Uh, I knew him a little bit on what you might say a professional level, uh, and I was always impressed with every interaction I ever had. Which is a great transition to Mark. You knew Gary, I know, as a fan. Uh, what was your interaction with him during that time period? Yeah, and that's what's so unique about this is I wonder how Gary would react to me working for him with my style, you know, the style that I like to write, because it's the 180 degrees from who what Gary would report. I'm an opinion, speculate type of person where Gary's like, you know what? I just heard this and I confirm this and I double confirm this. This is going to happen. So I do wonder how Gary would work in today's industry compared to, you know, what he started with. Now, with that said, yeah, you know, Gary, I, I met Gary as a fan on his message board. And it, it just, it became a community that I got really involved in. I met a lot of friends through. Great networking site. And it got to the point where it's like, you know what? I want to see a face behind that name. And so <laughs> the meet and greets. And that just spurned into, you know, spawned into something huge. And then all of a sudden, USC football practices were open to the general public. And it it was just an op. Greg, you'll understand this, and maybe everybody else. You can use Google, do your internet search. The best way to describe Gary is he's a mensch. He was a mensch, and that's probably the highest compliment you can give to somebody. So, um, yeah, I I owe a lot to Gary, even though I didn't get to say thank you to him, because without WeRSC.com, way back when. 
before it moved to ESPN. Um, I'm probably not sitting in this chair. Yeah, you know, Gary, I, I went back to 2001 with Gary. Uh, if you really want to know a lot about what I experienced and thoughts about Gary, I would encourage you to read the column that I put out last Friday, the appreciation on the fifth year anniversary, which seems like a bad word uh, of his passing, uh, which touched on a lot of things that uh, you guys have said. Uh, let me uh, first address, I met Gary without really knowing it was Gary uh, during uh, the early, the late years of the Paul Hackett regime when Essie used to uh, work out at, um, at UC Irvine and we actually talked with each other. We never really introduced each other, but we would, you know, snap quip, quips about Paul Hackett and so on and so forth. And I started writing on this crazy uh, website uh, called the Wild West site. I I went by a handle called 23 Blast. People thought I was Tom Kelly. Uh, you know, who would know that information? And Gary was reading it. And one day I got an email that said from Wild West, a message, uh, my name is Gary. You know, I, I'm starting this website. I'd like you to, you know, I can't pay you any money, but, you know, I'd like you to be a part of it. And so it turned out that the guy I was talking to all the time was actually Gary Paskowitz. But I think, it, and I'd, I'd like to really address uh, one Mark uh, question that Mark brought up. What would Gary think of the site today? Gary was not into telling it like it is much. Uh, he was very protective of USC football. It was almost like his um, uh, family relative, so to speak. I know there was times when he would say to me, you can't do that. You can't say that. Uh you know, and it was, I was kind of maybe ahead of my time uh, for what he wanted. Uh, I respected it. He did so much for me. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. Um, but I, you know, he was into recruiting. And I said, Gary, we got to do more than just recruiting. We got to cover the team. It just can't survive just, just on recruiting. And as we see now, the evolution that Gary did make that, that transition, all the other sites that I respect actually got into it now where we're all, all of us, other sites included, cover USC both off and on the field. Uh, if Gary came back today, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think he would be doing a lot of what we do. He wouldn't restrict us from what we're writing. He may not be as blunt as some of us are, uh, myself included, uh, but he would understand the lay of the land and I can tell you this as a fact, I don't think it's any great state secret. He was so fed up with USC football, the way it was run. Chris, you touched on a lot of the issues as far as the Trojan clubs and everything else. And, you know, we've all talked about the Hackett years and uh, we talked about uh, definitely the Helton years. Uh, the Helton years really got to him. He just felt that uh, Helton had just ran the program down into the ground he was basically saying out loud things that he only told me in private uh, when we occasionally go out to lunch or uh, dinner. Uh, I think today, uh, Mark, he would be telling it like it is in his style, in his style. Uh, he started to do it uh, before he suffered his uh, fatal stroke. And I was starting to get excited that he's, you know, he, he didn't want to alienate anybody. He didn't want to lose any advertising people. But he he was definitely slowly coming to the point where 
you know what? I've got a forum. People listen to me. Uh, I think I have a lot of respect, which he did. Incredible. Uh, and he was starting to slowly give his opinion. And th- and that's, I think that's would be interesting today to, to hear what he thinks of Lincoln Riley and NIL and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, there was, he was very conservative, basically a conservative guy, but there was a part of liberal in him that, that, that he could actually, uh, foresee, uh, where everything was going. So where we miss him, we're still going to miss him. He meant so much to all four of us. And, uh, we, we honestly really wish he was here today. No question about it. All right. Question two from HUD SD. Thanks for this forum, guys. Two questions. One, would you agree that our offense and defensive line do not measure up in size and rankings to those in the top programs, including several Big Ten teams? And two, uh, if you agree with one, question one, do you think that our new coaching staff can up our O and D lines to be competitive this coming season against LSU, Michigan, Penn State, and Notre Dame? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean – if we're looking at what Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State's lines and Wisconsin and what Iowa's lines look like, yeah, USC needs to get bigger. There's no doubt about it. So we'll find out if Benny Wiley is ready to pump him up or, you know, trim him down. I, it was interesting when he was on the Trojans Live radio show, that answer that he gave was, I don't know if it, it, it was shocking, but it was just like, just tell me what to do and that's how I'll build him up. It's almost like Alex Grinch was in charge of the strength and conditioning program, not Lincoln Riley. So it's interesting. Well, I mean, look, it makes sense that the the coaching staff is going to give instruction about what type of players they want, right? So uh, why – no, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I was going to go into another Alex Grinch tirade, but it doesn't make sense at this point. I'm just going to hold on to that. Once I go down that slippery slope, I mean, I'll be talking for 20 minutes and I'll start talking about health and I'll start talking about all kinds of other things. <laughs> so forget it. Uh, I think that you can only coach up players so much. Uh, sometimes it just gets down to this is a player that has the physical attributes. And if he does catch on to the coaching, he could be a super player. But they definitely have to improve their size. They're aware of it. Lincoln Riley said we want bigger bodies. They're making an effort to get that. Uh, and hopefully in short, shorter time than five years from now, they will uh, be able to be on a regular basis, one of the more physical teams in the country. Uh, question three from Mally Mal. Can you go in depth of what you think the potential of the offense can be with Miller as QB1? And the current weapons around him now, what do you think? They just did what they did to a pretty good Louisville defense in the Holiday Bowl. I I mean, I don't think you're going to get 300, what was it, 372 passing and six touchdowns. He's not going to do that every week, but the potential to be a, a very good offense is there. They've got to figure out if the offensive line starters are, I think, good enough. I mean, good enough to be, to be a very good offense. I think you've got something in there. You have to figure that sort of thing out. And then do do you have enough wide receivers? I mean, you, you like the talent, but the numbers there are, are interesting with how many guys left. The offense is, has a chance to be good. Yes. Yes. 
Lincoln Riley knows what Miller Moss is capable of doing, which throws he can make, which throws he can't make. So they're just going to tailor the offense around him. He's got, like I said, you've got the skill position players on the outside. We think they're going to have a pretty good running back core. You get the offensive line working well. Miller Moss uses his brain. He knows how to play the game. If it's not open, he'll ditch it at somebody's feet. He'll play the next down. So is it going to be Caleb Williams running around? No. You're probably going to have more of a quarterback that reminds you of a Matt Liner type of player. Yeah, I, I'm not – I don't know if USC is going to have the the type of offense that that Lincoln Riley has sometimes had in the past where it's, you know, number one in the country in yards per play and it's unbelievably explosive. Um, I don't know if they'll be that good. They might be, but it'll be a good unit. I think they're going to be better up front offensively than they were than they were last year. Uh, I think uh, I think the four. I'm still saying four uh, freshman wide receivers because as long as Makai Lemon is is hanging around, we're going to call it four. And I doubt if we're going to see him in Boise. Um, I, I I really think those four guys are so unbelievably gifted. And you're going to see – you always see a huge jump between – or you you almost always see a huge jump from, from freshman to sophomore year. That's when you see the most improvement with most college football players. Those guys are going to be a handful for everybody. And Lincoln Riley knows how to coach offense. I, I The offense is going to be good. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to score 38, 40, 42 a game. They are. That's what they're going to do. That's what Lincoln Riley's offenses always do. Got to run it. Got to run it. I mean, that that's for me, Miller is secondary. I, the, the confidence in Miller is he's going to be solid. You got to give him, you got to give him a running game. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Eric on this. They've, they've got to really have a presentable running attack, especially uh, in the, uh, in the big 10. Uh, I, I'll say this. If the offense isn't quite as good as what, has been in the past, but the defense is better. Uh, I'll take that. Uh, you know, so so you don't, you know, uh, score 42 points a game. But if you can hold the defense, uh, the other team's offense down, that's that's a fair exchange for me. Uh, question four from Jeff in Rancho Mission Viejo, California. This is an interesting question. Uh, coaches' titles. Why have college football coaches' titles become so convoluted? Is it an internal university requirement so they can get paid more money in line with compensation schedules? Is it an ego thing? As fans, all we need to know is what is what are they responsible for in headline terms? Example, offensive coordinator, defensive line coach, running back coach, etc. The latest round of titles for USC's new defensive staff is silly. Why do they have to do it? Comment? Is that not in in co- every corporation right now? Are there are there not a hundred thousand titles floating around to explain pay raises and and what you can put on your resume when you're looking for another job? I, just, I mean, it feels like it's just like anything else. Yeah, that's all. It is. These are boxes being checked off so these assistant coaches can move up the ladder and say, "Look, I was able to stop. I was able to stop a team's running game because I was the run game coordinator." That's all it is. It's a, yeah. Look, it's a titles are titles are cheap and easy to give out. Number one, and and number two, 
uh, you know, especially if you're hiring a bunch of guys who were head coaches or defensive coordinators, their last schools, uh, they don't want it to, they don't want it to, to, to look like they're taking a step back. And so you give them a, a title, but it, it's not offensive. It's not going to do any damage to anybody. So, so what? Eric Henderson's the D line coach. I will not refer to him as every comma defensive line coach. Dan Lynn's calling plays. There you go. There you go. That's 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 it for for your defense. Doug Belt's coaching the secondary. Uh, Ence is coaching the linebackers, and then Nua's on the on the edges. And Henderson is has the interior guys. All right, our final question five from RC Trojan in Rancho Cucamonga, which I think is a timely question to end this uh, fourth quarter because Chris is going to do some interviewing of Spencer Harris who's the executive uh, officer there of uh, some of the NIL uh, House of uh, Victory stuff uh, video at the end of this week. But here's the question from R.C. Trojan. OSU is clearly, OSU would be Ohio State, is clearly using their NIL money this year to load up on an NC run, national championship run. It is something other big schools will replicate, especially if it's successful. Is this something you see as sustainable every year, or is it more about a head coach identifying uh, this team as a team's best chance to win and getting extra NIL money this season while making do with less in the following two or three years? Comment? Well, the idea for NIL is that it's it's replenishable, right? Like if, if you're paying this guy X amount of money this year, and he comes off the books, then then the idea is you'd have that again the following year. It's it's I, I think that's the goal when you hear coaches talk about you know what their roster value needs to be. That's every year. Every year they want to be able to dip in that $13-15 million range to to be able to put that out to players. Ohio State just got a good look at what Michigan did and getting everybody back plus a few key guys. I think for Ohio State, the the right, the the safety, the running back, the quarterback, those are the big name guys. But getting so many of their veteran guys who could have gone to the draft, especially defensively, that's where like that's where Ohio State did really well, and and what really makes them a a potential contender. So. Yeah, everyone's going to try this. You bring all your best guys back and add a few guys in the portal that are are game changers. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds like the plan right now. I mean, Ohio State's not the only program that's paying guys in the portal uh, and paying that toll on the guys, but they did have a remarkable run this offseason. I mean, that's that if if Ryan Day can't beat Michigan and win a national title this year, then there are a lot of people that are going to be asking why Ryan Day is coaching Ohio State's football program because uh, they have the roster uh, they have the roster to do what uh, what they pay coaches at Ohio State to do. Ohio State's not the only oh, Ole Miss went all in this year. Well, that's so they they brought in a ton of guys. I think it's fewer of those returning guys. So you're going to get a. I, I think it'll be, and th- this is something you talk about a lot too, Mark. Where the difference between the core of guys who have played together a lot versus the let's go get 17 guys from different schools and see how that works. And, and I think the schools that that you mentioned there are going to be really really fascinating to watch this year. Well, we know it hasn't worked for Texas A&M. We know it hasn't worked for for Miami. Oregon's say, all right, we're all in. 
So we're going to see if this Ole Miss, Ohio State, Oregon template works. Because I don't know if if it is sustainable. You know, Eric, you said the money, you know, income spongible. Well, it's spongible as long as your team wins. Ryan Day isn't going to get 13 to 15 million chipped in every year to keep that roster together if he's going to trip over his you know foot against Michigan at the end of the year. It's not going to happen. Yeah, my, my experience in, in the world is that if you pay a lot of money to get the very best talent, that usually helps your organization. They have some things they're going to have to figure out, uh, and there's some locker room things that you have to deal with when guys are making that much money. All that's true. But, um, you know, there's a reason that the Dodgers and the Yankees and, and these other and, and these baseball uh, franchises pay gigantic sums of money and they tend to win a lot more than the Oakland A's as a result. Doesn't mean that Oakland can't have a good season. It doesn't mean the Dodgers won't choke in the playoffs. But if I had to put if I had to put uh, the mortgage payment on uh, which team is likely to win 105 games next year, I'm going to pick a team with a giant fat roster full of guys making a lot of money. Guess what, though, Chris? 105 regular season wins means absolutely nothing when you lose three in a row in the playoffs. Yeah, you hired Dave Roberts as your offensive coordinator. It doesn't mean mean absolutely nothing. I mean, uh, granted, that's not what they're paying the money for. But being being consistent, look, those Braves teams that that won all those games and did a lot of titles, that's still better than being a fan of, I don't know, the the, the Indians in the the 80s, whatever, right? Teams that lose 100 games a year. Don't tell me it's not different. It's different. It's different. USC losing to Texas in that national title game, that was a heartbreaker. But would I take that season over over Clay Helton five and seven season? Yeah, I think I would, man. I think I would. And you're more likely to win those games if you have the best talent on the field. I know what I felt like at the end of that game. If I had to do that two years in a row, I'm telling you right now, I'm not sitting in this chair right now. I'm dead. You should be a UCLA fan. You never have to worry about it. I think what we probably could come to agree on is that there's a reason why some schools that have a lot of money win, and there's a lot of reasons that some schools that have a lot of money don't win. Example would be, of course, Texas A&M spending a boatload uh, in the last several years. Didn't do them any good. Not only did it not do them any good, they lost a lot of players that they originally brought in. So it gets down to winning and coaching. It's a little bit more elaborate than that. So a reminder, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to the WeRSC members message board, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle viewer or listener questions. All right, overtime panel. Do you think that the college football playoffs made a mistake in not expanding to 16 teams, which could have meant the top four seeds would have played a home game? Chris? Are you in with 12? Would 16 have been better? Depends what you're trying to accomplish. If you're trying to set up the most number of entertaining games to make the most money, then you expand to 16. If you're trying to crown a legitimate national champion, then 12 is already too many. Go look at the go look at F, the FCS playoffs. You don't have 11, you don't have teams 10, 11 and 12 winning titles. It's always the top 3 or 4 seeds that win it. So and that's going to be the case in, in college football. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were 15 and 16 in the final eight people. You think either one of those teams would have a prayer of winning the playoff? Please. 
so no, if if you just want to crown a national champion, twelve is too many. But if if you want to set up a lot of great games, look, would I watch one versus sixteen and two versus fifteen? You bet I would. I would absolutely watch it. Anytime you show me number one is playing number sixteen in college football, I'm watching. So if you if that's the goal, if the goal is to get more viewers, to get more money, then do it. But you don't need it to get a legit title. Mark, how do you feel about it? I'm good with, with 12. Let's start there. Let's see how it goes. I mean, look. If, if USC was part of the playoffs in, in 2008, imagine if there was a 12-team playoff system. Imagine just the 14 playoff system back then. USC probably wins another championship. So let's stick with 12. As Chris mentioned, you don't need to go down a laundry list of teams to find out who's the best. You you know if you're in the top ten, you probably you have a chance, but it's usually those top five, top six teams that are that are going to win it. Eric, yeah, eight, I mean eight would have been fine, and then with those top four getting the the home game, but at that point, at that point, I gotta imagine having the buy is a is a bigger advantage than having a home game. Um, what, when you're talking about that point in the year, now you're going to get, you're going to get a top four team that complains, Oh, we, we were rusty because we didn't play or whatever. You got, you got to deal with that. But I, I do think that, uh, that having potentially having that week off to, to watch and get guys healthy, maybe will, will be better. But yeah, you, th- those four top teams, four to five seems like there's a, a split, but, one and two certainly don't need to to prove their way through against against a sixteen uh, at that point. All right, I'll conclude by saying I've said it when they first talked about playoffs moving forward to whatever. I've always been a proponent of sixteen teams. I don't like buys. I think they set up some of those teams in a buy for an upset right there and then. I think for the health of college football and the excitement nationally coast to coast. Uh, if those top four seeds had a home game, uh, it would increase interest in the area. I think that's the beauty of the NCAA basketball tournament is that it is such a, you know, North, South, East, West, uh, you know, involvement of everybody. Uh, and I think it would be fascinating. Uh, the one thing I wouldn't want to see though, I don't want to see a football play in game to see who gets, the 16th seed. So, uh, you know what? We'll see how 12 teams, how it works out. Uh, I'm sure it will be a massive improvement over uh, the way they pick the teams in the past. And if they think 16 teams is going to do it, I think more than 16 is ridiculous. Uh, but 16 teams, and we already have conference championships. So to me, that would be the best of it all. If so the top the- four lose... If the top four lose their first game, it'll it'll go to sixteen pretty quickly, I think. <laughs> Especially if they're SEC and Big Ten teams, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, once again, if you've enjoyed Inside the Trojans Huddle, please click on the like and rev subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wrsc.com, become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Big thank you again to our great panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKenney. Chris Arlich, and a special big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Subtle. Have a great week and weekend. 
So until next Tuesday, and on behalf of our Inside the Trojan Settle panel, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, saying fight on, everybody.